0: Well, as I said last week, it's a privilege and a pleasure to co-labor with Howard in what is it that we need to pray in and out and teach in and out of our congregation in particular. And so this is Healthy Messianic Community Grounded in Shalom, A Way Forward Part Two. I encourage you to see Part One because it's a, a set that belongs together. And I'd like to just open with this passage. Maybe, oh, I, I see some of you thinking this is all greek to me (laughs) Um, that's because it would be greek now why did i choose to put the passage up there in greek well that's where we start all of our study with the language of the text and reason number one is amy g levine who grew up an orthodox jew in my home state of massachusetts wrote this book the misunderstood jew the church and the scandal of the Jewish Jesus. And at the end of the book, she wrote an alphabet of suggestions. And one of her suggestions is, if possible, learn Hebrew and Greek and read the primary text in the original. To take scripture seriously should mean taking seriously what it might have originally conveyed. The second reason that I put it up there in Greek is some of us clearly cannot read that Greek, and others can pronounce it and others can actually render it into English. So my point here is you may be able to see something someone else cannot or does not yet see. And that's going to become important to us later. And someone else might be able to see something you cannot or do not yet see. And while the pride of place belongs to Thomas Kuhn for his work on paradigms, patterns, of seeing for now. Joel Barker wrote this book that is understandable, understandable to anyone in the general public to explain what our, are what our paradigms. And then I want to tell you this story. This is, this is as confusing as the Greek, isn't it? Yes, and intentionally so. This is called an auto-stereogram. 19 years ago, Marguerite and I were on our 25th anniversary tour. We were going up and down the East Coast and we stopped in Boston and we went to this bookstore and in the window were a host of these stereograms. And there were instructions on the window that said, come up close, maybe about 12 to 18 inches away and stare into the audio, the auto stereogram. And maybe look a little this way, a little that way, until your eyes adjust themselves and a 3D image will appear that's three or four feet deep. And so I actually gave you the electronic link to this one. And then I bought this one, which I'm going to put in the social hall today. And I encourage you to hold it in good light about this far away and stare into it until the 3d image materializes before your eyes and I'll I'll cheat a little I'll tell you that it's a massive dragon with four long legs a very long tail a very decisive looking head and Wings that look like a giant bat and the bottom line is Can you see it and all I can tell you is I followed the instructions there in the window and I said oh man they said what I said it's about four feet deep and it's a ginormous dragon and at least six to eight people are like you're lying you're making that up and then I went to the next one they said oh what's this one I said oh it's a lion and they were "Oh, come on stop this quit why because they could not see what I saw do you realize it could be physiologically even impossible for you to see what someone else sees And yet we're very happy to fight and argue with each other. When, if we had a different approach, later on we might go, I now see what you see. Well, here's the verse in English. Is this better? I never stop giving thanks for all of you, always making mention of you at the time of my prayers. That the God of our Lord, Yeshua Messiah, the Father of glory, may give to you all a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's what revelation is. This is revelation, oh, now I see. The word apocalypse revelation, means to disclose, uncover, reveal what you do not see. Here we're being granted a spirit of wiseness and revelation in your ever-growing knowing of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, Look at hebrews 6 4 if you want to know why i translated it that way so that you may know what what is the hope of his calling what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance and the holy ones what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who are characterized by trusting in him according to the working of his immense strength that he worked in the messiah when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above every ruler authority power dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the ecclesia, which we talked about last time, which is his body, the what? The fullness of the one who fills in all. I could not overemphasize shalom enough. It's a covenant of shalom. We're supposed to become the fullness of the one who fills all in all. And head was turned on its head in the first century. Anyone that was a head, including Nero, was to be served. But in Messiah, in the new covenant, in the new creation, anyone who is a head is to serve. It turns and reverses headship in the first century. So he's the head of the ecclesia. Is he like Nero in charge, dominating? No, he's serving it unto death. I wonder if our understanding of headship is remotely close today. So we segue from last week's sermon, we talked about the work ahead of us, we talked about how will we get there, and we said uh, we need to understand and continue to become community, and that would require overcoming U.S. radical individualism. But I want to start with a clarification. I didn't mean the kind of healthy rugged individualism that is inherent survivalist. If you ever got yourself in a jam or you are on your own somewhere, so you rose up and you survived, I don't mean that. I mean this, that we overcome the unholistic, unhealthy, rugged individualism in which an individual makes it all about them and everybody else is one of them, but not very important. So, rugged individualism that's negative like that is self-centered and it's focused on my needs, my wants, my rights, my freedoms, my expectations, my demands, my fulfillment, my happiness, etc. And I was shocked when Jessera Elbel came to the United States from Israel to go to Messiah College in Pennsylvania. She had written as a teenager a little article in a journal called The Me Country, and I read it. And she said, I came to the United States, and I hung out with people in the United States, and I, I, I was shocked at how focused they are on me, myself, and I. And she said, even when I leave a room, I see if anybody needs anything, they all go get what they need and don't consider anyone else in the room. She was a teenager at the time. I can't tell you how wonderful that article was. And definitely see this week's uh, Rash by Vered Hillel, on individualism meets responsibility. It ties together with what we're doing. Radical individualism is more like this today. Radical individualism is being celebrated. In fact, the more radically individual you are, the more it's being celebrated to the point where people can be whatever they think or imagine they are. And I am talking about a licensed professional counselor informing me that he was unable to help his patient until the day comes he convince, he can convince him that he's not a vampire in real life. And I'm talking about things about ourself that we so over identify with, we can't relate to others. And I'm talking about a whole new group of people who are saying, my life is so unique and individual from yours, you can't understand or relate to anything in my life. And that's where the culture has been heading. If we think it was difficult to have community with rugged individualism, look how hard it is to have community with radical individualism. We're definitely going to need a power of the size of, of the magnitude of the Ruach HaKodesh. What is the contrast to this? Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of the heart, they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Messiah. Remember, we're not in a fishbowl-sized religion. We're in an oceanic worldview and way of life. That is not how you learned Messiah. Remember the graphics from last week? Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Yeshua, what do we need to do? We need to put off the old former self and the characteristics of that old former self before being immersed into Yeshua Messiah. We need to take it off like a garment. It belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, our mindset, and we need to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness, doing what's right in every relationship, in situation do we need any progress there we're going to be deeply challenged here in the sermon why we need to get to the fullness the measure of the statue of the fullness of messiah and so that means we need to look and examine ourselves and ask god to search us and find any harmful way in us and that includes starting at the family unit home anything there that needs improvement how about in the marriage i'll say more about this put on the new self Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor. For what reason? We're members of one another. I wasn't exaggerating last week. If we're the wilderness generation, we hurt ourselves, we hurt our fellow followers, and we hurt the shepherd of the flock. Caution. Let us truly put on a new self. And please let us know the difference between what it means to be in Messiah for 60 years or what it means to repeat year one 60 times. I learned that lesson from a professional colleague in my first career in healthcare. When one day he asked me, what about that person? Can we put them here? And I said, have you talked to them? Do you see the level of the processing of what we're doing? What is that? He said, I'll tell you what that is. That's repeating year one. 50 times. Let's not be those. But to each one of us, but to each one of us, was granted, gracious giftedness was given according to the measured gift of Messiah. You never have to compare yourself to another person. You never have to feel inadequate compared to someone else in the community Of the followers of Yeshua Messiah. Why? We all have a diversity that came from the hand of God through Yeshua the Messiah. I left out, by the way, the verses. See the dot dot dot? That would take 1.5 hours to exegete, and I didn't think you wanted to get out at 4 30 today. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and then it's some as shepherds and teachers. And the Greek construction of shepherds and teachers there, shepherds and teachers, is such that all shepherds must be teachers, but not all teachers are shepherds. Sounds like Howard and Henry to me. For what purpose? To equip the holy ones for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Messiah. Until when? Until we all attain to the unity of the trust that we share as a community and of the knowledge of the Son of God to fully mature personhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. As a result, we're not supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up, we must grow up, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head namely Messiah, from whom the whole body, listen, being joined and held together through every connector. Translations, you usually use ligaments. It's probably not that specific. It's everything that's in that human body that keeps it connected. Every connector with which it is supported, according to the proper working of each individual part. Yeah, we need the proper working of each individual part because that causes the body to grow so that it builds itself up in love. I recommend this book of reservations. It's all about diversity and unity, but according to God's gifting and ordering of diversity, not the diversity being created by people who are not focused on God's gifting and ordering of diversity. And that's why in the community of Messiah followers, when we have ethnic groups, we have no problems with each other because the whole plan of God in history is Jewish particularism with the universal horizon of every tribe, tongue, people, group, and nation being together, loving yod Vavhe, vav the one true living God, and the one he sent, Yeshua Messiah, John 17, 3. So despite a few terminology or related issues, I highly recommend that book. And now I want to segue into something that I want to expose and reveal and unveil and have an apocalypse about in case we haven't had this revelation yet. And this is the unholistic, unhealthy fragmentation and compartmentalization that, uh, that I myself spent decades living i spent decades living until i came to the holistic shalom based messianic jewish worldview and way of life i live this way i don't deliver part two as someone holier than thou i deliver part two of someone who lived it too long and has to come clean in this detox sermon and i picked three of them so what these spheres would be is all the separate compartments of life in which we live our life fragmented and disconnected and i picked the big three work politics and religion why is it said that we can never talk about politics and religion because we're a new creation in messiah in the new covenant and there's something wrong with our politics and our religion The politics is lived over here, such that you could be a bad boy or girl all week, lobbing hand grenades into other camps, splitting the whole world into two, so that you're either red or blue or conservative or liberal or whatever, and then you demonize the other all week long. And then on Shabbat, let's face and let's say the Amidah. And then let's close with, when all idolatry is banished from the earth. And then let's go down the hall and pretend we have a unity. But the only unity God is blessing is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And it's like the oil flowing down the beard of Aaron, a beard that beautiful I would have imagined, my brother. The kingdom of God has its own inherent politics. If you're a new creation in Messiah, You adopt that, and then you engage the politics of the nations you live in, and it's all revalorized and reprioritized. What happened in the last two elections? Politics imposed on another compartment of life, the fishbowl religion instead of the oceanic worldview and way of life. And then there's work. I can't tell you how many times in my first career I went to work and was accused of being a different person there than I was out of work. Why? I never had the integrated whole. I never had shalom. I lived in separate compartments. My being was fragmented. My living was fragmented. My thinking was fragmented. My speech was fragmented. You only got a part of me. And so this happened in the last two elections. Politics took over the religion. And even the United States, by many, was confused as the kingdom of God. This cannot be us. We're the community of Messiah followers. Here's the contrast a holistic, healthy, integrated, messianic Jewish worldview and way of life in which every aspect of life is revalued, revalorized, its value. Is checked again by the fact that I got a kingdom transfer out of the kingdom, the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of the Son of His Love, Colossians one thirteen, and everything gets reprioritized. So there's not a bunch of spheres that one minute I'm over there with no connection to this and one minute I'm at work with no sense that I'm even a Messiah follower and behaving in a way that conveys to everyone I'm not a Messiah follower and then I show up on Shabbat and holy 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 it has to be integrated into holistic healthy Messianic Jewish worldview and way of life. I couldn't have found a more satisfying graphic for this piece. At the beginning of my Fortune 500 career, in, in three years' time, I was in charge. The highest level of that company. And one day, an employee pulled me aside in the locker room and said, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. She said, last night when we hung out with you, you were fun and engaging and friendly and warm. And, and she listed all these things. But when you walk through these doors, you're an entirely different person. The pressures of this company, the responsibility you have, the numbers you have to reach, the dollars you have to sell. You know, the company has to make X number of millions a day, right? You're a whole different person. I was stunned. I did serious business with God for decades about this. And so the green is to represent transformation happening as everything is revalorized and reprioritized. And the blue is what remains to be transformed. And we just continue to live into the new creation until we're fully transformed. At the end of my career at that company, an employee pulled me aside and said, hey, we've been going out for years and now you're leaving. I gotta say, I have one compliment for you. I said, what is it? They said, no matter where we meet you, the grocery store, at the office, in the heat of overtime, uh, at a concert, at dinner, you're the same person. You're the exact same person. I just pray it doesn't take you decades to have that transformation take place. So you're the same person. And the wake that you leave behind you is not damage. But, oh, my God, what is it you're involved in that you're this way everywhere in life? Because that's the way it is now. Common Judaism means the Judaism as a worldview and way of life, not a religion, that the Jewish people, irrespective of the sect they were in in the first century, had together. They negotiated their rights to live out the Derek Adonai in the Roman Empire. They negotiated their rights so that they didn't have to worship the emperor as God, for example, They didn't have to give a sacrifice to Zeus, for example. Common Judaism's negotiations with the Roman Empire regarding its responsibility to live out its way of life is a model for us, even though we're not remotely in an empire like Rome. In fact, our empire is compared to the Venetian Empire. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We've had a kingdom transfer. The good news, according to Mark, they brought a coin whose image and inscription is this? He asked them, Caesar's, they replied. Yeshua told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. It starts with what image? Thank you. thank you. It starts with the image, the image on the coin and the fact that we're made in God's image. Give the image on the coin and the tax to whom it's due. Give the image of God to whom it's due, God. I can't emphasize Philippians 4.8 enough. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. This is during the reign of Nero, Paul tells Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, you can add the word civic there somewhere. Dwell on those things. Dwell on those things. That's how we negotiate in such an empire. I've been studying for Shalom for like two years now. I want to see who has the most holistic understanding in the cosmos. And I stumble across the work of David Bohm, a physicist, a dialogue advocate, and a philosopher. He died in 1992. In this book, he developed a theory of quantum physics in which he treated the totality of existence as an unbroken whole. Does that sound like he's reading the Tanakh? He says, humanity has always been seeking wholeness, mental, physical, social, individual. It's instructive to consider that the word health in English is based on an Anglo-Saxon word, hail, meaning whole. That is to be healthy is to be whole, which is, I think, roughly the equivalent of the Hebrew shalem. This is Bohm, not henry. Likewise, the English holy is based on the same root as whole. All of this indicates that human beings have sensed always that wholeness or integrity is an absolute necessity to make life worth living. Yet over the ages, what has humanity done? Generally lived in fragmentation. We expose the reason why in this sermon. Being guided by a fragmentary self worldview, a person acts in such a way as to break themselves and the world up so that all seems to correspond to their way of thinking. Each person thus obtains an apparent proof of the correctness of their own fragmentary self worldview. This is a physicist speaking. Though, of course, they overlook the fact that as they themselves, acting according to their own mode of thought, who have brought about this fragmentation that now seems to have a life of its own, independent from their will and desire. Thus, shalom and solidarity via unity in the Ruach HaKodesh cannot be overemphasized. Wholeness, completeness, soundness, sufficiency, satisfaction, harmony, peace, community health. Work out your own community health is what the text says. Solidarity, a holistic unity of interests, responsibilities, objectives, and standards in the community. and I, way of the Lord, Now I am the way, Yeshua says. It's the way of the Lord in Yeshua Messiah. And then we looked at this last week, but I remind you that Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is grounded in 2, 1 through 4. And that's where selfishness, self-centeredness, a lack of solidarity is called on the carpet. There are implications here for our thinking, speaking, doing, behaving, being, and living. We said this last time. Are you always in the process, thank you for laughing, are you always in the process of this download? Is transformation always downloading? <clears throat> Is solidarity always downloading? I found these graphics, I didn't create them. They're too ugly for me. So we focused then this time on overcoming the actions of the sinful inclination and US argument culture by the Ruach HaKodesh. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, continually serve one another. Love, service, married, in the Tanakh, the definition never changes. You prove your love by your service. The affect part is like 5%. 95% is service. Here it is, the summational ethic of the New Covenant Scriptures and of the whole Bible, if you study it carefully. The whole Torah is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love the one next to you as if they were the same as you. A better translation. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed by one another. That is what is happening in the United States. Biting, devouring, consuming one and other. We cannot be part of this. They have to look at us and go, how do they do it? How are they not behaving like us who are biting and devouring one another until we consume each other? Well, it clearly lays out how. I say walk. Like in the, how's your walk? That's the word. How's your walk? Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the sinful inclination. For the sinful inclination has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, ruach, and the rook has desires that are opposed to the sinful inclination. And they're in what? Opposition to each other. So you cannot do what you want. And we don't read the last verse because that's another half hour of explanation. But notice it's all lit up that this whole thing is grounded in serving one another in love in Deuteronomy 19.18b. Let's spell it out because the text does. The actions of the sinful inclination are obvious. You know, this is written to Gentiles, right? And they flooded a Jewish movement that grew up with the Tanakh. So guess what the first sin on the list is, even though this is not a hierarchy? Porneia. The first letters spell the word porn. Porneia. That's what they bring to the table, the Gentiles. So that's something that needs to flee the movement. Flee immorality. That should have been a Bible verse, huh? Flee immorality. Yes, some got that exegetical humor. Here they are. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, tell me this doesn't send a shiver up your timber if you know that metaphor. As I have forewarned you, Those who are habitually characterized by practicing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that serious enough a word for us? Those who habitually practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice this. There's 15 listed actions of the sinful inclination. There's 15. Thank you. There's 15 of them, and eight are interpersonal conflict problems. 53.33%, Jeff Rubenstein, for numbers sake, are interpersonal conflict problems. They are works of the sinful inclination that prove we are devoid of the Spirit of God. He goes so far as to warn them that those who habitually live that way will not inherit the coming fullness of the kingdom of God. Interpersonal conflict, a particular pertinacious progressive problem in the US. Yes, that's four Ps, that is alliteration. This book was written in 1998. I'm embarrassed to say that I just wrote her last week and said, Deborah, I cannot tell you how this content is worked in our hermeneutics course our art and science of interpretation course, but never have I read your amazing book, and had I read it, it'd be in there, and guess what, it's now in there, particular, very specific, pertinacious, it's like it's incurable, progressive, it keeps growing like a cancer, and it's a problem in the U.S., Chapter one is called fighting of our lot, fighting for our lives, which should mean fighting to survive. It means we're busy fighting with each other for our lives. Nearly everything is a war or battle. These are all her points. Attack and opposition dominate. War or battle metaphors dominate. Nearly everything is reduced to two sides because we know that 100% of everything in the universe and all issues only have two sides. Thank you for laughing, Peter. I'll be blessed till I die for that. Nearly everything is reduced to two sides. Dichotomies dominate. Hyperpolarization dominates. Polarization, like magnets that repel each other. All you have to say is one wrong word, and you're demonized. Demonizing the other side dominates. Her book is laden with a discussion of demonization. Knee-jerk reactions dominate. Debate has dominated over dialogue, except for, hey, why don't we sit down with the other side? Because, of course, there are only two sides to everything. We're the community of Messiah followers, a new creation of Messiah. We have to put a stop to this. Typically, tragically, professed Messiah followers in the US during the past two elections and during the pandemic have been exposed as some of the worst culprits of this behavior. The two dominant reductionist false dichotomies were faith versus fear. Anyone that wore a mask, physically distanced or got a vaccine by these extremist, hyperpolarized faith people was guilty of fear. I've counseled so many of them, I can't tell you, including this week, a school teacher who was beat to a pulp by all those that told him he was afraid. And that includes a criticism of that pastor whose video went viral that said, I could lick the virus right now and not get it because I'm a man of faith versus fear. The holistic response was Leviticus 19.18b and shalom-making. I left you the link to some young people who wrote a very short post that, that said, this is one of the greatest tragedies of professed Messiah following, that we followed reductionist false dichotomies into faith versus fear and separated ourselves as Messiah followers so that the world... Thinks we're just as bad as them. That warrants a mini course, Faith versus Fear. Especially seeing it is the Jewish community that went down the path of Leviticus 19, 18b, shalom making, and Bikuach Nefesh, and they're right. They're more righteous than those that profess to be. And then conservative versus liberal. I owe you this one because when I arrived in South Africa to begin doctoral studies, which I never finished, but certainly wrote an 85,000 word dissertation. I was handed this book by George Lakoff called How Liberals and Conservatives Think. Now there's a dichotomy. There's only liberals and conservatives here. But in this book, here's what he wanted to say. Do you know what the underlying metaphor is for a conservative, a strict parent? Do You know what the underlying metaphor is for a liberal, a nurturing parent? How many think They need to be both. How many think that given the situation, you have to decide right at that moment what you're facing, whether to be strict or nurturing and give some freedom? Yes, I have five grandchildren now, I still see it happening. What if we got more holistic in even our understanding of terminology and stopped dichotomizing and stopped demonizing and stopped splitting everything into two? What would happen socially, culturally, spiritually with human beings? It certainly wouldn't be what we're looking at right now. If you continually bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed by one another. Beloved, we must not allow ourselves to be found among those describing the words of 2 Timothy 3, 1 and following. You know I'm going to connect all the dots to make, make this two-part sermon say everything it needs to say that God has put on my heart to take us forward into a foretaste of new Jerusalem. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. There's a hidden manna post that explains the last days. We've been in them for over 2,000 years, and the eschaton approaches, it just gets closer and closer to the end. And as you move toward the end, things get progressively worse. The, The Jewish pseudepigraphal literature makes this very clear. Hard times will come. People are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, just look at the driving. I'm sorry, it's a contest for can I get home alive now. Without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. Wait a minute, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power? That's why scholars think this doesn't refer to the world, it refers to professed followers of Yeshua Messiah. What are you supposed to do when people habitually act this way? I'm sorry, the text says avoid these people. The 21st century U.S. argument culture is exponentially worse because of truth decay. Truth decay has set in, in four ways an increasing disagreement about facts and analytical interpretations of facts and data, a blurring of a line between opinion and fact, an increase in the relative volume and resulting influence of opinion and personal experience over fact, a lowered trust in formerly respected sources of factual information during the pandemic. Two people wrote essays to say a disproportionate number of professed followers of Messiah subscribe to conspiracy theories. The death of expertise and the campaign against established knowledge has set in. This book identifies the forces trying to undermine the authority of experts in the U.S. It makes the case that higher education is making the problem worse. It ties the anti-expertise sentiment and anti-intellectualism. Don't love the Lord your God with all your mind. Don't use your mind. No, not us. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Not only to the pervasiveness of the internet, but other media options. Concedes that experts do make mistakes, but argues that the key point is the ability of other well-informed experts to challenge those mistakes and lead to solutions. This is all the research I do in my spare time. The shallows, sacrificing the ability to read and think deeply. A deep thinker, the Greek word is frontist. I'm opening a site that's got all the front history. It makes a convincing case that every information technology carries an intellectual ethic, a set of assumptions about the nature of knowledge and intelligence. He explains how the printed books serve to focus our attention, promoting deep and creative thought. In stark contrast, the internet encourages the rapid, distracted sampling of small bits of information from many sources. Its ethic is that of the industrialists, an ethic of speed and efficiency, of optimized production and consumption, and now the net is remaking us in its own image we're becoming ever more adept at scanning, skimming and losing our capacity for concentration, contemplation and reflection. Sorry, not on my watch. The contrast. I'm called to be the academic dean of MSI. We have to be the antithesis of all of this. The lodestar of Shalom at the center of holistic, healthy, integrated, Messianic, Jewish worldly, and way of life brings with it solidarity via a real unity that God can bless. There the Lord commands the blessing. I listed them again. The shalom and the solidarity definitions. And I said this time, make sure it's in Messiah Yeshua. We have to overcome the actions of the sinful inclination, US argument culture, truth decay, the death of expertise, the shallows how by the Ruach HaKodesh. This is our model, 360 degrees, 360 degrees. If you start looking at everything in 360 degrees, you can learn from anyone. Even the person you think now is on the other side. You could learn from everyone. A total atheist could walk up to you and say something. You go, I never saw that before. That's incredible. And you put that into your what? Your integrated whole. And then when you're with everybody, you're just a life, a walking, lifelong learner. Even the rabbis have a passage that says the greatest person is the one who learns from everyone. We need to be a community that's 360 and knows that everybody got different giftedness, so we can all pour into it and all arrive at the truth. That's called dialectical dialogue, dialogue that gets us to the truth of the matter. This is the model for us. An accurate both and response to a two-side reduction question. Henry, are you A or B? Is it God's sovereignty or human cooperation? The Hebrew answer is, So many here, I'm preaching to the choir, I guess, today. There's so many of those I could have done. If you haven't seen this movie or read her book, you have to see uh, this story of the Emery professor because one of the chief things she objected to is there's adequate evidence for the Holocaust. So there is no, let's have a debate. Let's host a debate on the Holocaust. There is no other side. There's adequate evidence. So there's zero sides here. It's just the truth of the Holocaust. There are no other angles. Do the 360. There are no other angles. So definitely see this movie. It's riveting. I own it. You can borrow it maybe for 24 hours. Paradigms. Come to our hermeneutics course. I want to say I'm proud of Howard Silverman because the first time he ever asked me to do anything hermeneutical at our previous building, he said, do that hermeneutics thing. And I presented this paradigms, and he, he he got out of his chair. And he said, this explains almost everything I'm trying to figure out. I think, and I'm writing on it, at the end of this year, I think we should have been taught about paradigms when we were children, and then we wouldn't have grown up and become two sides so certainly we educate everybody about paradigms that's the book that makes it easy to understand what are paradigms patterns of thinking seeing perceiving observing knowing that may have physiological uh, psychological and even physiological components they can be neutral positive or negative that's important that you know they can be neutral positive or negative there are good paradigms like being a messiah what is the paradigm effect What may be perfectly obvious to persons within one paradigm may be quite literally invisible to persons with a different paradigm. The watch. The watch was invented by who? The Swiss. The Swiss thought of watch as cog, gears, springs, wind. That was their paradigm. And they stayed in that paradigm while researchers in their companies did quartz mechanism movement research. They were so entrenched... In that wind up springs gears paradigm that they went to the trade show in the world with their patent unprotected quartz mechanism. Who was at the trade show? The Japanese. Who owns the watch market in the world? The Japanese. What do the Swiss own? Rolex. That's it. Why? Because they were stuck in a paradigm. You think any of us are ever stuck in a paradigm and that's why when we're listening to someone and talking to them we're going yeah well i don't see what you're saying and i disagree and we're on the wrong side (gasps) oh my god i never saw that a spirit of wisdom and revelation will go a long way to ending this among messiah followers i don't expect the nation to remotely improve it can be quite literally invisible to a person in a different paradigm what is paradigm paralysis a paradigm that's too strongly held can lead to a paradigm paralysis a terminal disease of absolute certainty a hardening of the categories it's taking our paradigm and making the paradigm no you don't understand i have faith in your fear what is paradigm pliancy? it's the opposite of paradigm paralysis it's for for us it would mean acknowledging that we possess absolute truth but we do not understand it absolutely Abraham Joshua Heschel, he's gonna be so highlighted in my essay. What impairs our sight are our habits of seeing as well as the mental concomitants of seeing. Our sight is so suffused with seeing like a sponge is so full of water and cannot take on any more water. Instead of feeling painfully the lack of knowing what we see, the principle to be kept in mind is to know what we see rather than to see what we know. How do we inoculate against the paradigm effect and paradigm paralysis? Scrutinize ourselves and our paradigms. Be a lifelong listener and learner. Know that genuine lifelong learning leads to our knowledge of what we do not know. The highest educated people are more in the know about what they don't know than what they know. That's the safeguard. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 9 and 12, know that we see in part and dimly as through a piece of Roman glass. Swartley's invocation in biblical studies, get this in a book called Slavery, Sabbath, War and Women. Can you see how problematic that title is already? And it's all about the two sides. Are you for or against? The Bible's for slavery or against? The Bible's for Sabbath or not? And there's no nuancing no complexity no nuancing just is it for or against doesn't talk about jews and gentiles nope no nuancing no war is the bible pro-war or against war come on which side because there's only two let's have a war about it and women oh do they belong in ministry or not oh let's fight come on all right i did a two-hour uh thing on women hopefully uh, it's online you can you can see here's the invocation we can apply to our own context having heard the text first the biblical text on its terms, as much as possible, we must then seek to discern its significance both personally and corporately so that interpretation becomes an event, an event of understanding. When this happens, our self in community that's his own term, Swartley, not mine, even though that's the term I use our self in community receives insight that may reinforce previous understandings, question our traditional perspectives critique our social economic or political situations and call for and enable major change in and among us to occur as the sermon of the text's significance leads to obedient vital response biblical interpretation stands in the service of the larger purpose of scripture to exert its authority over our lives an appropriate invocation for us as interpreters might be help us god not to mistake the assertion of our biases and prejudices for the authority of the spirit-driven word within and behind the word of scripture. To be serious in this plea means committing ourselves to a lifelong disciplined study of the text, along with the disciplined scrutiny of ourselves and our biases as interpreters. And that was written so long ago. So we need to overcome the actions of a simple inclination, U.S. argument culture, truth decay, death of expertise, the shallows, the paradigm effect, paradigm analysis, how? by appropriating the Ruach My final contrast, you've heard the list of the 15 works of the sinful inclination. Here is the antithesis. The fruit, the produce, the crop produced by the Spirit is number one what? Love, which is service to others. If we poured it out here and we became the antithesis, of this culture. What would everybody that you bump into in the course of everyday life be saying about you and your behavior? They'd wanna know what the heck happened to you. Joy, joy, shalom, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness. Search Sam Meyer's essay on meekness. You'll never understand it the same. Self-control, against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have done what? Crucified the sinful inclination with its passions and desires. That means we should get to the place where we're incapable of those behaviors as we continue to be transformed. If we live by the Ruach, let us behave in accordance with the Ruach and demonstrate this crop of fruits of the Spirit and things like these. Let's not become conceited, let's not provoke one another and never be jealous of one another. We're all uniquely gifted. Last week's conclusion revisited, this is evident. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Oh, there is a place for a dichotomy. There is a place for two sides, here's one of them. It's for convenience sake, like setting before you life and death so you don't have to be clueless about which one to choose. That's what was going on in antiquity when you set opposites next to each other. It was like, oh, I'm clear which one to choose. Whoever is not habitually characterized by doing what's right in all relationships and situations is not of God, nor is the one who is characterized, nor is the one who is not characterized by loving their brother and sister in Messiah. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you remember this from last week? What were they busy doing, the 3,000 Jewish, the brand new 3,000 followers of Yeshua the Messiah who were Jewish? What were they doing? I call this lessons from the 3,000. They devoted themselves to teaching, apostles teaching, and to what? The kind of fellowship, the kind of participation and dialogue we should be having down the hall after this. They devoted themselves to it, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, plural. And awe came upon every person. And many wonders and signs are being done to the apostles. And all who trusted Yeshua Messiah were together and had all things common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As any had need, they all were taking care of each other so they could survive the empire. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Our home is endlessly serving, and I'm endlessly serving in the coffee, shop, coffee shops. In fact, I overserved during the pandemic. So when he comes back, I'm going. I'm going to go rest. And day by day, look, uh, distributing the possessions, day by day, breaking bread, they receive food with gladness and generous hearts. Oneg, delight. Own egg, delight, generous hearts. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being rescued from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. My like closing story about prayer and the word, simply this. <clears throat> Marguerite and I went for one of our typical walks. We walked down the creek side and there at one of the tables was a young couple and some silver-haired gentleman and they were clearly doing premarital counseling. And so we sat down, and they looked at us, and we looked at them and said, is that premarital counseling? They said, yeah. I said, 44 years, baby, August 5th. And they said, 44 years? What's the secret? You know what our answer was? Have a robust prayer life together. If you pray deeply with your spouse, you reach a depth with God and Messiah that cannot be there unless you have that habit. You attain to that depth of Yochanan 17.3, with God and Messiah, you're going to attain to that kind of depth with your spouse. And then you're gonna be able to communicate on your walks, what are the things that you do in each other's lives that seem to reek of the onions and garlic of the works, of the sinful inclination. And what are we gonna do about it? And you're gonna find that the combination of a robust prayer life with spouse, with family, with fellow members of this community, in your own egg teams, in your havurah you spend time praying together, all of a sudden the transparency comes. We might even reach the book of Jacob where you could confess your sins to one another one another and be healed. You never know. If we're guilty of the works of the sinful inclination, then no one trusts anybody to tell them anything. So then later their counselor got up and left. And we said, there are three other things that are important to a, a really good marriage. We'll tell you those now, but this is only good for married couples. This has to be done in private chambers. So we'll tell you those three some other time. And then the word, it's James Kugel retired in Israel, that in his book, About Scripture, said, I'm just gonna start making random observations now. And his random observations were prayer and the scripture, they're just opposites of each other, both ways of engaging the living God. That's my three bears story for us. May we be those who thank God for our God-ordered, gifted diversity, overcome all of this horrific behavior that comes from the sinful inclination appropriate make for ourselves God's ruach to build us individually and as a community into something that the world can look at and go how did you accomplish that and all the praise would go straight to Yodevahe and Yeshua the Messiah let's pray So Vina, we thank you for uh, the privilege of hearing from your word. We we thank you for the privilege of having uh, our culture exposed, our society exposed, and we ask that we will become those whom you have constituted us to be by the power of your Ruach, so that oil flows down like upon the beard of Aaron, and you can command your blessing here We're not asking you to bless what we're doing. We're asking you to transform us so we can be in what you are doing. We thank you, Yeshua, that you will build your ecclesia, make us it, we ask in your name. Amen.